0: Good evening. I'm Naledi Zonda. I will be doing the Bible reading from us, for us. We are reading from Ruth chapter 2 verse 1 to 23. Okay. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go my daughter. So she set out and went to glean in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young men who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, And she is the young Moabite, she is the young Moabite woman who came with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean among the other sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from the early morning until now, except for the short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in other fields or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink that, what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz said to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and full." And the full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some wine, uh, some, sorry, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and take it to her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned gleaned in the field until evening. When she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, and she took it up and went into the city. the man is a close relative of ours and one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Beside, he, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to, by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young man, woman of Boaz, and, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, everybody. How are you?
1: Great. It is fantastic to see you all. I'm sorry if my voice sounds a bit raspy. I preached this morning and I sang my lungs out now like most of you. And so my voice says, so if I talk to you later on after the service, please don't think I'm hitting on you. It's just the raspy voice. <laughs> All right, I, I am going to pray for us, and then we are going to get into the book of Ruth. And I'm excited. I hope you're excited. Wait, one more thing. Hold on. I need to get one more thing from my bag. It's going to be helpful for later on, I promise. You're going to want it, okay? Yeah. It's, it's, hold on. It's this. It's chocolate. So you better listen carefully, because this might help you later on, all right? Okay. All right, now I got you listening. You know, I once did a talk at uh, cutting at Crossword Camp, one of our teens camps, and I, get, I ran a competition. I said, if you can hear a quote from a Marvel fil- film in my sermon, then uh, then you get a prize at the end. That was the only sermon in my life that everybody was listening. <laughs> Nobody fell <laughs> asleep. So uh, so that's why I'm doing this to get you guys to listen. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for uh, the book of Ruth. Uh, Father, we thank you for your redemption, and we thank you that you have brought Jesus into our lives. And I do pray, most importantly tonight, that we will see Jesus in the pages of what we're about to read. And I pray this in your name. Amen. I'm just going to disconnect this. It's a bit easier for me. Okay, uh, so this is just a bit of... Um, bit of context, so for those of you who are new, if it's your first time, my name is Gareth, I am part of the staff here, I am the youth pastor here, and uh, we're in the book of Ruth, we're in the second chapter, so I'm going to catch you up a little bit, but I would suggest you go online to any of the places you listen to podcasts, type in Christchurch Midrand and you will find all our sermons, and you can get last week's sermon, just look for my name. The other reason we're doing this book is because it's Women's Month. And uh, Ruth is just a wonderful story of God's redemption through a woman named Ruth and her mother, Naomi, her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so it's a beautiful book to read. Ruth is an incredible character. If you haven't read through the book of Ruth yourself, I'd suggest you go home and you do that. Uh, it's a great book to read. But let me let me just quickly catch you up uh, with where we're at. So last week we said this. We said the main point of the book is that it is a micro-picture demonstrating how God redeems on a macro level, okay? So what, is, what the story is about is it's about this woman named Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, and it's the story of how God redeems them. And when you read that story and you understand it, you get a picture of how God redeems the world and how God redeems through Jesus, so that's the big idea. So when you're going home tonight and you're reading the book of Ruth, keep that in the back of your mind as you're reading through it. Now, where we are, where we are at in the story is last week we looked at chapter one, and I'm just going to give you a quick summary. So it start the story starts off with this woman named Naomi, and uh, she everything is going great for her. She she was living in a place called Judah. So I'm going to put Judah on this side of me so that you don't get confused, and Moab is on this side. Okay. So, her and her husband, Elimelech, they move from Judah to uh, to Moab, and then what happens is life seems pretty good for them. They have two boys, Mahalan and Killian, but then in verse 3 of chapter 1, Elimelech dies. And then, things seem to pick up a bit for them, because the two boys seem to move on, and they marry two women, Ruth and Orpah, and then the two boys die. And so now this poor woman, Naomi, uh, is left all, without all the males in her family. And what we said uh, last week was we said, not only did she go through the tragedy of losing everybody in her family, but she's also on the brink of poverty. Because back then, all the possessions and all the material things were owned by the men. Naomi also tells us that she's too old to work, and she's too old to get married again. So in a male-dominated society, that's the one thing you need. You need to get married again. And she also can't get a job. So, I mean, when we looked at it last week, I said to you, put yourselves in her shoes. It's a chaotic situation. It's really, it's its a bit of a catch-22 that she's in. She can't feel a way out. But then what happens is she hears that food is in Judah. The reason they had moved from Judah in the first place was because there was a famine in Judah. And so now they hear that the Lord has blessed the fields. And so what happens is they, uh, Naomi thinks maybe there's a bit of hope back home. So she gets up and she moves, starts journeying towards Judah. And on the way, uh, there's this conversation between her and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And she tells him the wise thing. She says, listen, go back to Moab. Because it's easier for them to get married back in Moab. See, the one difficulty that we learned last week was that there was a lot of racism between Jews and Moabites. Uh, Racism almost akin to the racism that we would have experienced in in apartheid. Severe hatred towards the other race. So, this woman Ruth and Orpah, these two women, heading to Judah, it's not going to be an easy life for them. So, Naomi does the right thing. She says, doesn't go back to Moab. It's easier for you. You can get married again. And you know, in a male-dominated society, obviously that's what they need in order to survive. So Orpah goes back, but Ruth decides to stick it out. And Ruth, and there's that amazing speech, and I'm just going to go through it again because it's just one of the most phenomenal passages in the Bible. It's Ruth's words to, uh, to Naomi, and she says, Do not urge me to leave you. I'm reading from chapter 1. This is verse 16. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. And may the Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts me from you. That's beautiful words. I mean, that is the Ultimate picture of dedication and devotion to somebody else. And so what we ended off with is we we sort of applied it this way. We said there are times in life where we don't see the good things that God has given us. Because what happens to Naomi is when she gets into the town, when she's finally back in Judah... She completely forgets that Ruth is there, and the people say to her, uh, hi, naomi and she says don 't call me Naomi, which means sweet she says, "Call me Mara, which means bitter for the Lord has the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty and so we said sometimes we don 't see Ruth, but the one thing we really don 't often see is we don 't see Jesus because Jesus devotes himself to us almost in the same way. As Ruth, for where we go, there he is, <laughs> and where he lodged, where we lodge, that's where he is. your people shall be my people. He came down from heaven to dwell amongst us. Where you die, I will die, your God will be my God. When Jesus came, his father, he was praising his father, worshiping his father, and he is God. <laughs> And the last bit there was where you die, I will die. Jesus proved that on the cross. He proved that where we, where we were supposed to die, He died. So we saw that picture of Jesus. And now we're in Ruth chapter two. I basically gave you the whole sermon. So if you missed last week, you don't actually have to listen to it again. I'm sorry. <laughs> just like, if I, and I preached it in eight minutes. Man, I, don't you wish every sermon was just eight minutes? <laughs> sorry. All right. So now we're in Ruth chapter 2, and here's the main point. So if you fall asleep, if you're prone to falling asleep like me when people preach, just stay awake for this one sentence, okay? This is the main point. And you actually find it in verse 20 of our chapter. So actually, let me just say something before, before I say our main point. I gave you a tip earlier on reading Ruth. I said to you that the the book was a picture of how God redeems. Another hint to reading the book is if you want to know what the main point of each chapter is, look at the speeches, specifically Naomi's speeches. Certainly within the first three chapter, chapters, she kind of tells you what the main point of the passage is. So that's helpful, and we see it in this one. Verse 20 of ours, our, our chapter, it says, uh, she's this is Naomi said to her daughter-in-law so she's speaking to Ruth she said says may he be blessed she's talking about Boaz which is one of the characters we will meet may he be blessed by the lord and here's here's the point whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead Naomi also said to her the man is a close relative of ours one of our redeemers so what shows up clearest in this first is that the lord has been kind and he's not left Naomi and Ruth, nor her dead husband and her sons. That's what the author means when, when the author says the living or the dead. What he has done is he's given them a redeemer. Someone who can rescue them out of their situation. So here's the main point. Here's where you need to stay awake. God, in his kindness, has not forsaken them but given them a redeemer. That's the main point. And I I thought it might be worth just mentioning that word forsaken because it's interesting that Naomi uses that word. She doesn't say the Lord just left. She said the Lord has not forsaken us. And that kind of gives you another picture. Remember last week when we were looking at Naomi, we kept looking at pictures into her soul, into how she was feeling and how she was thinking about things. And I think this is kind of like the biggest indicator of how she this is at the at the source of why she was feeling abandoned or why she was feeling empty sorry not abandoned why she was feeling empty last week or for, or the words that she used was empty and she said the lord has dealt bitterly with me is because she felt like the lord had forsaken her not just left her but actually given up on her and and i i i'm just Mentioning that almost as a side road because you, you might be here tonight and, and that might actually be you. You might feel that the Lord has forsaken you, given up on you, moved on. In fact, I sometimes think in our country, we might actually be feeling this. That the Lord's forsaken us when we look at all the trials that are going on in our own country. I'll, I'll say more on that a bit later. But I want us to start on the same kind of level as Naomi is, that feeling of forsaken. And I want you to try to put yourself in her shoes. Maybe that's a little bit easier for some of us because you literally do feel like you've been forsaken. This passage offers us some hope. Verse 2, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So Naomi goes to glean, but I want you to quickly see something just before verse 2. Have a look at verse 1. Verse 1 is an interesting verse. It seems like it's a verse that's almost a mistake because it's not a story. It's just making a statement. Can you see? It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So that verse kind of gets you actually a little bit excited as the reader, because we know something. We know that these people can be redeemed if one of the if a member of a Limellex family marries Ruth or Naomi. See here's the thing. Back then, if your husband died and you had no sons, then a way to redeem your possessions was for someone from that family to marry your, uh, to marry the widow of the deceased husband, okay So this kind of verse should get us a little bit excited. It's kind of like uh, that kind of same suspense. You know when you watch a thriller, like a scary movie, and, and the, the just before I don't know why this was okay, so the bad guy's always hiding behind a couch. You know, and and then you see that, and and suddenly the camera moves, and for some reason the woman's name—it's always a woman—and her name is Kelly with an I. I don't, I don't, And for some reason she's always in the shower because you know they have to—I don't know—these films have to make money. And then and then for some reason she gets out the shower and she's got her her, her uh, She puts a towel around her because she's heard a noise, and then she walks through the door. Now you know, as the viewer, you know. The the killer is there. So you start getting like, oh, don't walk towards the couch. You know that feeling. And and then you know what's that million dollar line that they always have in the movies, especially those thrillers, that the that the woman says, What is it? Hello? Is there anybody there? And they always have that pause. It's not just hello is anybody there, it's hello? Is there anybody there? And then, and then she walks out and then you see her start going slowly towards the couch and you're just like, stop it! Go away! Don't! Walk away from the couch, you're gonna die! At that point, you are so hooked because the one thing you knew was you knew the character before, you knew the main main bad guy was there before, before the scene even started. And so there's, like when this happens in the film, there's no ways you're gonna say like, listen, I need to go to the toilet. That's not gonna happen. You'll hold it. Because you need to see what happens. And so this is the kind of the same suspense. We've now been told that there is a hero, not the bad guy, there's a hero who who could potentially be a hero, but we don't know if he's a hero yet. We know that he's a redeemer, but we are not sure how he's going to respond to Ruth at all. But there's still a little bit of hope, a little bit of excitement that happens. So verse two, and Ruth and, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go. We've read that verse. And, and so what, what is gleaning? So gleaning is the act of picking up any grain that has been dropped by the farmers. It's picking up the leftovers. It's what the poor would do. Now, now back in that time, Jewish farmers by law were not allowed to to pick up grain that they had dropped because the land was seen as God's land. And he had a heart for the poor. So it was law that if you dropped any grain on God's land, his poor could take it. So Ruth goes to glean, and she goes to a field. So if you can picture this with me, what would happen is they would have these big fields that would stretch for kilometers on end, and then different farmers would own various sections of that big field. So she's heading to the field, and she's hoping to glean from a farmer or two. And she hopes that someone will have favor on her, literally have grace on her. Now, here's the chance for your chucky, okay? Why do you think they'd need to have grace on her? Tough question. Amen. Who said that? Yes. Why is that a problem? Yes. Yes. That's great. Well done. You see, you guys could have earned a chocolate next week. Next week. Okay. All right. Great. Oh, great throw, Gareth. Well done. (laughs) So, there's racism. She's a Moabite. So she's not just a foreigner, she's a Moabite, and there was a lot more, there's a lot of hectic racism between the Jews and the Moabites. And back then, so there's some other reasons as well, back then, people, remember we saw this last week from the book of Judges, that people were doing what was right in their own eyes. And we saw that last week, This can basic, this can create a very chaotic world to live in. And so she, she's worried about how people will treat her because if everyone does what is right in their own eyes and wants to stop her from being abused. So there's that. And there literally also is physical abuse that she can encounter. And we, we can see this in verse 9. Boaz instructs his men not to touch Ruth, which is basically a, a nicer way of saying being abused. Verse 22, Naomi warns Ruth as well that she could be abused if she gleans in the wrong farm. So clearly it's a dangerous place to be living in. Why does she do all this? What, so so, so you, why would Ruth risk her life and be willing to do all of this when she could have gone back to Moab, right? <laughs> what fuels her bravery? We're going to see that as we keep going. So let's keep reading from verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Now at this part, your heart should be pounding with excitement. There's hope because Boaz, the redeemer we've heard about, has entered. And you start getting excited. Maybe, maybe they'll fall in love and he'll be able to marry Ruth and, and they'll get out of the predicament that they're in. But we can't let that, that in a little, I want to say crazy white girl. You know, those little like teen white girls, they get so excited in the cinema and you always hear them right at the back. <laughs> that, I'm not trying to be racist towards my own race. That, that sounds a bit offensive. Please don't kill me. Uh, Right now, you can tell me later if I'm going too far. Please tell me if I'm going too far later on, after the sermon, and then I'll repent. Uh, <laughs> so you, you you might get a bit carried away, uh, but you've got to realize a couple of things here. So so something you'll see in the book of Ruth when you read it, certainly in chapter 3, is that Boaz was an upstanding citizen in his society. And because he owned a farm, he was likely a, a wealthy man. And here you've got Ruth, who is a Moabite, and who is on the brink brink of poverty. So the classes are very different. So we can't just think that Boaz is going to see her and immediately marry her. We also got to remember that she is a Moabite. He could deal with her in a harsh way and be racist towards her. So this, could not, this might not work as well as we think it might. But I want to show you something in the text. God is clearly working. For that word translated, happened in verse 3, is actually quite hard to translate from the Hebrew. The suffix of the word actually implies destiny or fate. So it's something more than just chance, like it just happened, but more like there is a force that is controlling everything, manipulating it all so that Ruth and Boaz can be in the same place. Hence the word destiny. So although she kind of stumbles on the land, and although it seems like chance, because it really is a big coincidence, we need to see something that God has not forsaken the living or the dead. God is the one who's been manipulating the situation. So it is a coincidence in some ways, it can feel that way, but it is a coincidence that is fully orchestrated by the Lord. And what a coincidence. I mean, think about this. Ruth just happens out of hundreds of farms that would have been back then. She just happens to land on Boaz's farm, who just happens to be a kinsman redeemer. Someone from Naomi's, from Elimelech's family, Naomi's ex, a deceased husband. The other coincidence is found in Boaz's return to the farm. He just happens to come on the same day as Ruth. Now, for him to take the journey from Bethlehem to Judah, which is what the text says, would have been too far for it to be a daily occurrence. It would be like driving from Durban every day for work in Johannesburg. So, of course, you wouldn't do that, right? So what an incredible coincidence. Ruth just happens to land on the field of Boaz, and Boaz just happens to be home at the same time. The odds of Ruth landing on the same farm as Boaz at the same time that he's there is like winning the lottery. But we know that it's not chance. We know that the God who is in his kindness has never stopped working in Ruth and Naomi's lives. God has not forsaken the living or the dead. And I want to just stop there for a bit, just for a little bit of application, because here's, here, here, here's the first time we actually see God not forsaking Ruth and Naomi in this chapter. And I think there are times, as I said earlier, where we do feel like we are forsaken. In World War II, people saw the hectic atrocities and deaths and began to say, maybe God has left us. And we can do the same things. The world is full of evil, and it's everywhere we go. I, some, I sometimes look at the evil in our country, the corruption, the murder, the stealing, the rape, the injustice that happens on our poor. And I think what I think a lot of South Africans probably think is, maybe maybe I should just try go to greener pastures, leave the country. <laughs> it's not the part to say amen to you. School, you know, you think about like you hear schools in the UK and the and the US persecute Christian kids, teach them from the age of four that they can take responsibility for their gender and sexual preference when they are classified as too young to actually get a driver's license. You know, like you think you think the pastures are greener. Chinese people are dying at their desks because they're overworked. Wherever you go in the world, there's wars currently happening in certain places. You can't escape evil. And while there's a lot of good in the world, when one watches the news and sees the mass shootings in the U.S., the wars in Asia and the Middle East with Russia, etc., your mind is clouded and you tend to ask, where is God? Has he forsaken us? But this passage is teaching us something. God is working. And and Naomi and Ruth don't see him working, but he is. He's orchestrated this entire scene. And because of this truth in this text, I can have relief. God is working. He's working. Even when I think he's forsaken South Africa or the world, I can rest assured sometimes we don't see it. But guess what? If you go back in time in South Africa for a little bit, nobody saw this little boy named Nelson Mandela who was being raised to free the country. We didn't see it. We thought we were forsaken, right? Go back 2,000 years ago. The Jews were struggling under Roman oppression. They did not see a man named Jesus who was about to die on a cross and save the world. You might be here today, and you might be in that place where Naomi and Ruth are. You feel forsaken, like God has left you. Maybe you feel he's given up on you, but God is working. To the students struggling to pay their bills, God is working. To the person struggling with anxiety because of assignments and exam pressures, God is working. To the person who feels alone, God is working. To the person struggling with their marriage, God is working. To the person struggling with their work environment, God is working. To the person struggling with the loss of a loved one, God has not left you. He's working. He hasn't left the person who can't get a job. He hasn't left the person who's in hospital. He hasn't left the family that is fighting. Why? Because where you go, he will go. Where you lodge, that's where he lodges. Where you die, that's where he dies. He hasn't left you and he is working. And and when he works, do you you want to know what's awesome about him is that he doesn't actually give you what you want, he gives you what you need. Amen? Come on, there's one other white person in the congregation. Let's be black church. Come on, amen. Yes. (laughs) For the sake of your godliness, for the sake of your relationship with him, for the sake of your joy, he will often... Let you stay in trials so that, as 1 Peter says, he can build you in your faith. God does not promise the happy life, but he promises the life of joy. And If you you speak to any Christian who has been a Christian for a couple of years, they will tell you that there has been ups and downs, but on the whole, life has been so much better. And guess what? Your trials may end in death, but that death leads to you being with Jesus. And when you see him, You'll know that He never left you and that He's always been working in your life. Amen? Because it's Black Church, I've always wanted to do this. Okay? I've never done this. I don't want to do this. Say to the person next to you, say, God has not left you. Alright? There we go. <laughs> yes! Amen! Verse 4b. And he, uh, so we can, let's carry on reading. And he, Boaz said to the reapers, "The Lord be with you." And they answered, uh, "The the Lord bless you." So that was just a greeting back then. Then Boaz said to his young, "The said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, probably the foreman, uh, whose young woman is this?" Now, now again, if your inner white girl is still active, she could be getting a bit excited now. But calm her down. Because he could just be spotting her and again, he could be, he could treat her harshly. We don't want to get too excited yet. They've, they've seen each other. He's seen her. You can get a bit excited. Not just yet. Verse six. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now. Except for a short rest. Now we're at the part of the text where we start learning about the Redeemer. We're gonna see a few things about him and what he's like. Right in, right in this verse, we, 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 we see how inviting he is. See, think about the sequence of events, alright? Ruth comes to this big field, lands on Boaz's farm, but Boaz is either not yet there or he just hasn't spotted her just yet. So she goes to the foreman, and she asks if she can glean in the field, and the foreman says yes. Now, in a society where, for, where farmers were against gleaners, especially Moabites, a foreman would never dare to do such a thing unless the owner of the farm allowed it. Perhaps Boaz said to the foreman, You know what? On this farm, anyone, regardless of their race, is welcome. Or perhaps the nature of Boaz is just so inviting just who he is in person that the foreman just knew he'd be okay with Ruth being on the farm. Now we don't know, but the one thing we do know is Boaz's farm is accessible to a Moabite. And the staff know that. And that just shows something of this Redeemer. He obeys the law in a time where others didn't. And he's inviting to outsiders. So let's keep reading. Now listen, my daughter. Do not go. This is Boaz speaking. Do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. See, believe it or not, in in, In these two verses, it's actually packed with information about the Redeemer. Not only does he invite her in, but he protects her. He tells his own men not to harm her. And he strictly charges her not to go to another field. Why? Because there are dangerous people in the other fields. He also encourages her to stick to his young woman. Why? Because of security in numbers. He protects her. Secondly... So he protects, he invites, he provides for her. He lets her glean in the field and he provides her with water. So he's giving her food and drink. He treats her like she's part of his close community. Verse 8b. Something unheard of for that culture happens in verse 8b. In those times, if a foreigner was even allowed to be in the field... Very often, they were given the job that was seen as too low for any other staff member to do. And this was to go and fill up the drinking vessels. But here, what do we see Ruth doing? She's drinking from those drinking vessels. She's no longer the person considered lower than everybody else. She's considered as part of Boaz's community. And back then, the people who were working with you on your farm... They ate, slept, and lived there. They were part of the community. So when Boaz says, drink from these vessels, he's saying, you're part of us. Now when you look at Ruth's response, you can kind of see why she's so gobsmacked. The incredible kindness of this man is overwhelming. Look at verse 10. Then she fell on her face. It's a sign of immense gratitude. Bowing to the ground and she said to him, why have I found favor or grace in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? See, she's just glad he's even taken notice of her. Of course, he's done far more because he's protected her, he's provided for her, he's invited her in. Brought her to part of his community. And at this point, you can now let that inner white girl out because it's exciting. The Redeemer has not only taken notice of her, but he's begun to look after her. He has not redeemed her yet. We'll see that in chapter 3. But he's beginning to do the role of the Redeemer. And the question she asks is the right one. She says, why would you have grace on a foreigner like me? Boaz answers, and when you look at his answer at first, you, you can think that he's, he's rewarding her actions, but actually he's rewarding her for her trust in the Lord, which is the cause behind her actions. Verse 11, Boaz answered her, all that you have done your in lo- for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and come to, to a people that you did not know before. Now you might stop there and you might say, oh, okay, I see. He's blessing her because of her actions. But look at verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So here's where verse 12 sets the record straight. And in fact, it actually sets the record straight for Ruth's whole character throughout the book. See, Boaz in verse 12 is giving us the reason as to why Ruth acts the way she does. And it's because she has taken refuge under the wings of the Lord. So if verse 20 is the key to understanding Naomi's bitterness because she felt forsaken, Verse 12 is the key to understanding Ruth's courage and her servant-heartedness. To take refuge under the wings of the Lord means to trust him, but the picture language is of the wing is actually quite helpful because it kind of makes you think of a little baby bird taking refuge under mommy's wing. Here's what the baby bird knows. I'm safe under mommy's wing. Nothing can hurt me. I'm provided for. I'll never be hungry or thirsty. I can relax. I'm looked after. Ruth is under God's wing and it's because Ruth trusts in the Lord, she's able to give up her home in Moab because she knows He's looking after her. She knows it's Him who provides food, protection, etc. For her, it's not just an average mommy chicken wing that she's under. It's the God of the universe. And once he's got you under his wing, ain't nothing going to penetrate that wing. (laughs) This gives her the strength to get up and face the challenging world of the racism and the dangers that come with gleaning. And Boaz sees the reason she serves her mother-in-law and and has given up everything. And he's, he's not rewarding her for her actions. He's rewarding her for trusting in the Lord and living a life that results from that. So two things that I notice that are quite interesting. Boaz says, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. And may a full reward be given you for what you've done. But he doesn't actually realize that he is the reward. <laughs> He's the reward. And I want you to notice something else. How has God protected and provided for Ruth? He's given Boaz. In other words, Boaz is the wing of the Lord. Boaz is protecting her. Boaz is providing, etc. So let's put everything together now. We saw that in the beginning, Ruth and Naomi Naomi were in a situation where they felt forsaken, but God in His kindness has always been working. But here's the thing. The best thing He provides for them is the Redeemer, who protects them, provides for them, and brings them into His community. All they need to do was trust in Him. Now when I was uh, preparing this, I thought to myself, do I actually have the confidence of Ruth? See, Ruth saw Naomi was in need, so she gives up everything to serve Naomi. Knowing God is looking after her. I serve the Lord, but truth be told, I struggle to give up things when I'm serving him. For example, I struggle to give money to people in need because I need money. I struggle to give up time to help others because I always feel I need time. I struggle to listen to others because I always feel I need the emotional capacity. You know what I'm talking about? Then I thought, what if I didn't have any money? All my time was used up and my emotional capacity was taken up. I'd be an anxious wreck. I'd be shaking all over because All the things that I need, time, money, emotional stability are gone. Do you know who else is an emotional wreck? A chicken when they're not under the protection of their mother. See, I had this blinding realization. I often make the things of this world the wing that I'm under. If I have enough time, money, and emotionally I'm in a good place, then I feel safe and nurtured. I realize that I've actually built a wing that can be strong. But it will never be as strong as Jesus, God's Redeemer. That's why I'll never have the courage of Ruth. Because I can't step out of my house No. Knowing that I'm looked after by God. The things like money and time and emotional stability and all of these things, they're fickle. The moment anything attacks that wing, it might hold up, hold up a little bit, but it will never hold up like the wing of the Lord. You might have other things that you make as a wing. You know how to, how to figure out what, here's how you figure out what you have as a wing. Think about what would make you sit back in a chair and say, now my life's in a good place. Because think about it. If you lose those things, then your securities are gone. And when your securities go, that's when you realize what the wing is. This could be your job status. It could be having a spouse your family where you live all of those things are good and you and you'll probably say you'll probably sit back it's like kind of that moment where you sit back and you just fall back into your couch and you go okay now everything's great and when you say that it's because everything that you count as securities are in place right <laughs> but jesus needs to be our security and when you have that security in that in that wing the irony is you have the bravery To be the person God needs you to be. You have the brave. You can be brave and serve. Sometimes even over your own means. Serving God's people. Serving in your workplace. Doing your job. Looking after your family. And one final thing to close off. And I know I've been long. So just as the last little bit of two minutes of your brain power, please. When you're under the wings of the Lord... Not only does his Redeemer protect you, provide for you, and bring you into his family, but he blesses you. In verse 14 to 17, Boaz truly blesses Ruth. He not only allows her to glean, but he instructs his laborers to give her wheat from the piles for food. So much so that in verse 17, she comes home with an ephod, which is 15 kilograms of food. But his biggest blessing is that he invites her to come and have a meal with him in verse 16. Now to apply this straight to our lives and to say that if we just trust in God, he's just going to bless us in this life fails to hit the point. Because the picture language here is of one of, of an abundance of food. Well, this is kind of like the picture of heaven. The Redeemer, sitting amongst his people, and he's he's given them far more than what they need, like food and water. It's a place where the wine is flowing, where she's eating grain. It, sorry, not, she's not just eating grain, she's eating roasted grain. And notice something else. Where is the Moabite? She's not on the outside anymore. She's on the inside, at the table. Friends, let me tell you, when you become a Christian, you start to see glimpses of heaven in that the Lord invites you into his church community. He walks with you. And there are times when you may experience experience some blessings. And, and often I look at my life and I, I'm blessed to have the wife that I have. The kids that I have. The church that I have. And I have a wonderful home. But friends, nothing will compare to heaven. I cannot wait for that day when I am sitting with Jesus. Because the greatest thing about that situation with Boaz... And Ruth are sitting together, it's not the wine and the food. That's all amazing. The fact is, she is with the she's with the Lord in his community. She's with Boaz, the picture of Jesus. And I'm excited about that because when I look at you guys, I think one day I'm gonna see you. And here's the thing you won't see this flawed guy. I won't see These flawed people over here. I won't see the flawed Andrew over there. I won't see that. I'll see you the way God made you to be without sin. Isn't that incredible? So to close off, if you haven't trusted in this Lord, perhaps now's the time that you take refuge in his kindness. Be under his wing. If you are a Christian here today and you're like me, perhaps this is also a challenge for you to take your refuge under the wing of the Lord. And lastly, the other challenge is to notice that God has always been working because in his kindness, he's never left us, but he's given us a redeemer. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your almighty work in our lives. I thank you for your redeemer. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that like Ruth, where we go, he goes. Where we lodge, he lodges. Our death is His death. Our God is You, Lord. Father, I just pray that You will continue to help us seek refuge under Your wing. I pray that You will help us to see that You are working even in the darkest of times. I pray this in Your name. Amen.